back and do anything to it right if he's ugly you just got an ugly kid that's, that's it, it. <laughs> I, re- I rarely go back and listen to us um sometimes i'll put it on in the car when my wife's in there if there's something i want her to hear <clears throat> or think she should um or i need some feedback on but usually i don't listen to it i i always i always give it one listen after after it's finished and it finally gets it on apple podcast i run it I feel like it's the most egotistical thing in the world for me to drive around in my car listening to you and me. You, you know, <laughs> even though, and and perhaps I'm biased because it's me, uh, I find it uh, compelling and interesting. Well, that's why I listen to it. Because <laughs> I never know what I'm going to say next, even though I just said it like four hours it's before. It's the strangest phenomenon because we do the show, and then when I listen to it, it's like listening to someone else talking. And I'm like, yeah. huh. I'm like these guys are funny, and then <laughs> even better is when I try and anticipate. You know, I do this when I listen to regular what the person says next. Yeah. Sometimes when I'm listening I, to us, I get it wrong. What, I was going to say, next? I bet you're probably pretty good at it. Yeah, since <laughs> you'd think, but I really don't remember. Well, and I, but that's I was, why I need this outline. I was trying to figure out why it sounds so differently when you play it back. Um, than when you're speaking, mm-hmm. and I realized it's because you know all that internal dialogue you have going on in your head about. How should I phrase that? Right. What am I going to say? That's all gone when you're listening back. You, all you hear is the finished product. Exactly. So you hear exactly how much work or lack thereof goes into the finished product. It's quite fascinating. And we're back. Welcome to Recovery in the Middle Ages, the podcast about two middle-aged suburban dads in their pursuit of life, love, and recovery. I'm Nat X. And I'm Mike. And boy, do we have a show for you. Today on RMA... Mike and Nat juggle their jobs, lives, families, recovery, and perform for you like lactose intolerant clowns with enlarged prostates juggling <laughs> chainsaws on a unicycle. And we are joined by the RMA newsroom editor at large and creator of the recovery news aggregation website, Sober Linings Playbook, the incomparable Grant B., otherwise known as G Money Smooth. Or and as he told us to identify him, uh, Grant from Sacramento. Yes. <laughs> yes. We're so excited to yes. have Grant. Oh, wait. I got to do the... Yes. Yes, of course. So, very cool. I always get nervous no matter who we're interviewing, um, but... Uh, yeah, and the funny thing is he's nervous about the interview. Yeah. And I'm like, what are you nervous about? You don't have to ask any questions. You just have to answer them. Grant's like a celebrity to me. I mean, I like, know, seriously. He's ubiquitous and... Um, he's and like... He's taken his post... Uh, or his, his like recovery um, stuff to like the max, yeah. right? I mean, he, he's attacked this thing like a science mission, like yeah. uh, like, the, you know, like in the Martian. Yeah, man. As he said he's sci- going to science the shit out of it. He's kicking ass, and um, you know, once in a while he'll he'll be messaging me. He's like, oh, I'm sitting in you know class, and he's getting uh, some certifications. Uh, he's, yeah, you know, furthering his education and. Um, and recovery sciences and, and things like that. So very exciting. He's a big part of the show and um, looking forward to it. I mean, that's what you do, right? You have all this spare time and, you know, what do you do with it? Like, if you're like me, you, you pick up like 90 different hobbies and you run around uh, like, a, like a madman until your wife yells at you to, 
<laughs> spend some more time at home. Um, anyway, so visit us at middleagesrecovery.com. Wait, you didn't, I, I wrote a new thing at the top. Welcome to our listeners stateside and around the world. If you are listening to us for the first time from hearing this Naked Mind podcast, welcome. And what took you so long? Yes. Thanks. That was hey, uh, I, I, very good. I added that. Um, now, yeah. visit us at middleagesrecovery.com where you can listen to the show, buy merch, and tell us your story. I got a weird email slash comment this morning on the Facebook uh-uh. group by one of our newer uh, members. Right. Who was like, where's my t-shirt? I Oh, you know, no, no. That's, did, did she order it? Um, I think she was just busting our balls. Oh, um, okay. I feel like, was <laughs> that right. Jen, maybe? Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, I, <laughs> I feel like when we first <laughs> were getting the t-shirts, we promised everybody You have to stop offering free t-shirts to everybody. So, we, can, we can't, we gotta make, we gotta make some money. Or bandwidth. Yeah, so Jen, if I if I offered you a free T-shirt at some point, I will send it to you. If I didn't, please buy one. We we really want to see yeah, our. You can uh, do that through the website. We want to see our online shopping cart work. Yeah. Plus, be, I have a giant box of T-shirts sitting in my yeah. living room. My wife's like, "When are you getting that?" They're thing really out of the nice shirts, room? everybody. Please. I, mean, she, no, I, I have to walk that back because my wife did not actually say that to me. This is my perception of what she's thinking. <laughs> Get the t-shirts out of the living room. That's it. And so. she is perhaps right. They should not be sitting in a giant they box should. in the middle of the living room. But they are beautiful works of art by the great Jeff D., our designer, printer extraordinaire, who I haven't mentioned on the show in a few weeks. So Yeah, where's he been? Thinking about you. He's probably busy. He's, yeah. you know, he's building a he business. A life, and you know, um, outside of working yeah. for recovery in the Middle Ages. He's newly married. <laughs> and, um, oh, well, that explains it. Yeah, no. So things to do. Buy a shirt. Thank um, you. Yeah, look for us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, all those places. Uh, you can get the latest news. Do we post latest news on our private uh, on our private unsearchable Facebook group? Yeah, found easily by searching "recovery in the Middle Ages" on Facebook search. Or yeah. find the link conveniently at middleagesrecovery.com. There's a lot going on in that group. In fact, I've come up with a new segment today where um, I'm going to feature one of our posts and some of the listener comments. We have so many uh, new segments that never seem to last beyond a show or two. I've, I've thought about that. Is this I, one going to last? I don't know. I, you know, you got to throw it up against the wall and see what sticks. I've had, you know, I was thinking about listening back to some older shows because I know I had some good ideas, some cool segments that just vanished from week <laughs> to week. And um, so if something sticks, like Recovering the News was a new segment that we kept. Yeah. Uh, week and Weird was a... Funny idea nobody liked but me, and now it's, you know, the it's reason people listen. It's part of the show. It's the reason. It's woven people. into the fabric of recovery in the <laughs> Middle East. It's the reason they listen. So leave us a five-star review on the Apple thingy. Um, mm-hmm. We'll read it on the air because we like hearing people say nice things about us. And um, Yeah. Yeah. I think we have one this week. Uh, also, tell us your story that we'd still like to hear your stories. Uh, log on to middleagesrecovery.com, scroll down, fill out the Your Story form, and you could hear your story Right on the air. And finally, the best way to help the show is to share it with a friend. Uh, if you get something out of it, share the love, help grow the RMA movement. And we are a movement. We're a juggernaut of recovery. Yeah. Steamrolling over every other alt recovery show it's, out uh, there. It's really hard to contain your enthusiasm, Mike. <laughs> um, I'm sorry. It's been a, a hectic morning, as what you could imagine, but we'll get into that. ever not a hectic morning? So, the Your Story, I'll read because I'm raising my hand like I'm okay. in third grade. Tell us your story by Brian C. Hi, guys. I found your podcast a few weeks ago, and I've been keeping up since. I found you when I was researching CBD use in recovery. I'll be sober 
for nine years as of September 11th. It's an auspicious day. It is. Uh, I've been using Delta 8 THC for about six <laughs> or eight <laughs> months now. And how's that going? I was using CBD vapes and sort of got tricked, like uh, our friend Mike here, yes. into the Delta 8, not knowing it has a small amount of THC. Small? In it. I would argue with the word small. Well, it has Delta 8 THC, which right. is a different... Uh, version of the molecule. I did start to notice a head change when I took more than one puff, and I quickly realized it wasn't the normal CBD I was used to. That being said, I noticed that it helps tremendously with my anxiety, helps me sleep, and overall helps me to have an appreciation of my daily life and my family that I didn't have before. Uh, yeah, I never got that from drinking a lot of scotch. Um, I take my <laughs> sobriety seriously. I, mean, I, had a, I had an overall sense of well-being, but it only lasted until the amount of time it took me to pass out and throw up. And then you take another one the next day. <laughs> I take my sobriety seriously and have no interest in going back to the hell I've lived through in my 20s. I have no reason to think that this use of Delta 8 would act as a gateway to other drugs or alcohol. Quite the contrary, actually. I don't have an obsession with drugs or alcohol, and I don't use it daily. I got sober through AA and have a large network of friends through the program. I don't tell any of them that I use Delta 8, simply because I think some of them would consider me relapsed. Yes, they would, um, unfortunately. Probably most of them. Yeah. Um, and perhaps pass judgment. My Probably most of them. All of them. My bigger fear is that I may give the idea to a newcomer uh, that you can safely use THC, which I definitely would not recommend in early recovery. Um, yeah, nobody I've ever met in AA or known currently would approve of that. You know? Or recommend it. No, and that's not <laughs> a bad thing. You know, that's just what they, you know, that's what they believe. That's their shtick, yeah. if you will. Um, and that's okay. I never used a sponsor much after I went through my 12 steps. I guess in a roundabout way, I'm asking, would you consider this relapse? From what I've gathered listening to your program, you'd probably say that it's an individual assessment. And personally, I don't feel that it is. Though technically I'm still using mood-altering substance, I'm curious about your thoughts on this matter, particularly in regards to not telling other friends in recovery. Keep up the good work. Thank you for your time, Brian C. Wow. wow. That's an apropos um, your story, because this is something that we've both talked about on the show. Um, I use Delta. Well, I, I don't anymore, but it's not because I felt like I was relapsing. I just, you know, it, I don't know. I just stopped buying it. It was a pain in the ass, and it got expensive. And for me... I mean, I don't consider it a relapse that, you know, I was taking Delta 8 uh, THC. Of course, many will disagree. I don't particularly care. Um, but, you know, I, I agree with what your, you know, your assessment is that you know yourself. I mean, I usually, um, I usually tell people, you know, I remember what it felt like to do heroin, fentanyl, crack, cocaine. Um, I remember what my life was like when I was using those things, even when I thought I was using casually. And there is absolutely no comparison to, you know, the feeling <laughs> and the way that my life was when I did take a Delta 8 THC either to go to sleep or to help with anxiety. It is not, uh, for me, this is not a relapse, but you're right. Some people in recovery, early recovery, may take that and then you know, they may take it to the next level and then be taking it all the time and then they're spending all their money buying more of it. I mean, it really depends on you. I mean, I, I wouldn't say, you know, if you do this, then you aren't sober. Like, um, there's, there are things that I think uh, I would say that if you do them, you're not sober. But this one, um, 
It doesn't sound to me like you are uh, have relapsed. I, I think a lot of it depends on the attitude that you have towards the, what you're doing. Um, I mean, I had episode 12, if you want to hear my experience with Delta 8. Um, How did you remember that? Because it's the one that stands out in my oh, mind. Because, okay. Uh, yeah, I really good. <laughs> well, because I, I inadvertently took it not knowing there were psychoactive properties to, to, to Delta ATHC. I probably should have done the research. Yeah, but I was, they <laughs> kind of buried it in the ba- in the, the packaging, which it seems like what happened to Brian here, you yeah. know, sort of tricked into the it, Delta 8 yeah. thing. Because Delta 8 is THC. It's right. just a different strain of THC than Delta 9. Yeah, the technical side of it is something like one molecule is in a different place yeah. on the compound. So I, I found it a little like weird and metallic, the high. But um, I didn't consider it a relapse because I hadn't, there was no intent. And uh, I, I really didn't enjoy it. Uh, I was kind of really fucked up from that gummy and for like 24 hours. Really? So, yeah, I was not the same the next day. That's and really it took me like a day to get, to get over it. So, um, so it shows everybody's different with it. But I will say this, though. Like after like a week went by, I started thinking like, huh, well, maybe since it's not really THC, I should order the oil and then I can, I can vape it every once in a while. And I actually did. I ordered the oil and it came. I ended up vaping it. And I, <laughs> yeah, I stuck it in a drawer because when it, as soon as it came, it was far enough from the event that I could look at it and think to myself, now, what was my motivation in going and ordering this stuff? Like, why do I want to get high? You know, and just the fact that I did it and I was a little sneaky about it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I didn't even tell my wife like when I had was high right. on the THC, like on the Delta eight, like I told her later, but at the time I wanted, I kept it like very on the, on the, on the down low. Yeah. And then I went out and ordered more. So, so that's addict behavior. It was addict behavior, which is why I mm-hmm. got rid of it and gave it to, to you. Right. <laughs> and then I took my addict behavior <laughs> and yeah, I, I but, didn't have that experience, but uh, it did help me sleep. But you know, oh. it took a clear so, sign that it wasn't, you know, getting me like high or whatever is when I ran out of it, I didn't think about it. I didn't go get it. Okay. I, mean, I haven't you know, done it. Like it's yes, just not that. That is didn't one, have an effect that on is like one that. thing that you could look at and say, okay, you know, that's, it's fine because I'm not like seeking it out or doing it over and over or whatever. Right. But I don't know. I don't know if that's, that should be the last word on whether or not it's dangerous to do it or whether it's good for your recovery. Because I noticed something no, I that Brian good. wrote over here that said, I noticed it helps tremendously with my anxiety, helps me sleep. And then this part stuck out to me. Overall, helps me to have an appreciation of my daily life and family that I didn't have before. Mm. That makes me a little, hmm. Yeah. Makes me go, hmm. Because um, things that make you go, hmm. For me... Like, I want to be able to have that appreciation for my daily life and my family un- right. unmotivated by anything that I put into my body that's going to alter my state of mind. Right. Now, if you're using it to sleep, whatever, that's fine. You know, I don't care what you take to sleep. If you take NyQuil to sleep, NyQuil's got alcohol in it, you know? Uh, yeah, you, you do. You know, whatever. That's, that's not, not it's not a relapse. It's a medicine. And this stuff, <laughs> you know, right. And this stuff, you know, is a medicine too. But so, I, I mean, I can't tell you whether you should consider it a relapse or not. I would say not, but I think you might want to take a take a look at the reasons behind why you're so fond of this stuff as opposed to mm, not doing anything at all. <laughs> you know? and, and, you know, what's the old, um, not being an AA guy, I have to reach back in my memory bank to think of some of the more uh, uh, 
you know, prescient slogans that they use that I like. And one of them is you're only as sick as your secrets. So yes. the idea that you're not telling anybody about this, mm-hmm. that also kind of sticks out right. to me. Now, I understand why you wouldn't want to tell the folks at AA because... You should look at those relationships too if you're not comfortable talking to them. Well, I mean, you know, when you go when you buy into AA, you buy into this whole gestalt, right? It's the the theory, the practice, the rules, the regulations, the dogma. You know, oh, suggestions. The suggestions. Suggestions. Right. <laughs> suggestions. Absolutely but must ra- do rarely have they seen people fail who have thoroughly followed their right. Method. Especially so, when the first suggestion is stop drinking. Yeah. So <laughs> um so I don't know. I mean, I guess my question is did you tell your wife? Like, does she know? Right. The, you know, um, I, 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 maybe that's in here and I missed it, but, um, you know, I, I could see why you would want to tell the people in AA because, you know, that's not really, you know, kosher with the program, but what about the people around you, you know? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know, man. I mean, your daily life sounds like it's going the way you want it to. You're happy. You feel healthy. Um, uh, it sounds okay to me, but I'm not going to blanket statement. Yes, Delta Eight is not a relapse because, like as you guys know, every everybody is different. You know, the most uh, valuable tool I ever I ever learned or had from recovery is being honest with myself. If you can really do that, you're going to be okay because you're going to tell yourself when things aren't going the way you want them and they're out of your control, or your life has become unmanageable let's just one final thought on that i think when you integrate the things that you're thinking and doing internally with the stuff that's going on externally then you're in a good place if those things are separate if secrets are being kept if uh you know that sort of thing then maybe maybe you need to take a look at that but i don't know man i mean i i will still take some cbd every now and again but i read the label very carefully so very good anyway so we got a new review thank you brian c yeah so this is a five-star review from, I, I can't uh, pronounce that. MJ, MJ Leahy01. Right. Came on Sunday. So relatable. Found this podcast from This Naked Mind. This is the first time I feel like I relate to the authors so well. Authors. Hmm. The conversation flows, and I really enjoy listening. The sound quality is great, and the show notes are detailed with links. Yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> I tell you guys every week, look at the show notes. Mike, like, you know, once well, a, there's stuff in there. What about the sound quality? They, they, the sound quality. They like the sound The sound quality is all you, man. Yeah, that, that, well, you know, that's my thing. I'm an audiophile. I'm constantly trying to improve the sound of the show. Some people think it doesn't matter. They think it's content is all that matters. <laughs> Didn't um, I say that yesterday? <laughs> you did say that. And uh, there's evidence to sort of prove that. You know, just look at Dopey Podcast. I mean, they got super popular when Dave and Chris were just recording on the mic on their laptop. And so that's a hunt. But my theory is if they had recorded like we do from day one mm. they'd have a million list i don't know that's i think sound quality is important it makes I, listening I, more listen, enjoyable i agree and um i think but i think yeah. if you have bad content sound quality is not going to save you right this is a lot of like npr public radio yeah. has amazing sound quality but it's like dry and boring I mean, uh, that depends on what you listen to yeah all things considered um <laughs> so thank you so much for that uh review um everyone else go do it give us a review it's really fun to read and it makes me feel better um (laughs) so life update uh sunday fun day something we talk about every week because (laughs) on sunday i usually is my day off and i'm doing all kinds of stuff and um it gives me content so um last sunday 
it was a very special Sunday. Now, some of you may know that um, I'm a participant in a Presbyterian church. I'm a member. I've been going since I'm a little kid. Uh, I also serve on the Board of Deacons. I'm also a Sunday school teacher. Uh, and so I'm very involved. Uh, I'm not one of these super um, overtly religious, finger-wagging, you know, telling people the way they live is wrong type of Christian. It's, I was, I was, I was, <laughs> You're the other type. I was, I was explaining this to a friend of mine yesterday. I said, we're, we're more of a loving, kindness, patience, getting together to help the community. Mm. And, uh, you know, we marry gay couples. It's very... Who does? Uh, the Presbyterian Church officially marries uh, gay marriages. They do gay marriages. Really? They do. Mm. That's the official stance of the Presbytery. No kidding. Um, now, whether or not my pastor is like, okay with it is another story, but... Well, do you have more autonomy? Like, do the individual churches in the Presbyter yeah. have more autonomy than, say, a Catholic church would? They do. And, in fact, I was just talking to Pastor Jeff yesterday. He stopped by, and we were sort of talking about reopening church and, you know, what we're going to ask our uh, members to do as far as masking. And he got some decree from the Presbytery. I forget which way it was, that everyone must or something, and he didn't like that. Thou right. shalt. He's like, you know, um, I don't think that there's a federal law. And he was kind of like, he'll do what he wants in the end. You mm. know? That's um, interesting. Okay. It, I mean, it, that's a, not to get bogged down in Catholic versus Christian new. doctrinal matters. but Catholic Protestant. So I went back to church for the first time because I had a big uh, Christian education meeting. Um, we're trying to figure out what to do with the Sunday school and are we going to be in person, you know, mm. are we going to be in church because the teachers and the kids and blah, blah, blah. But I wanted to say that I really, you know, as a kid, I hated going to church because every kid probably hates going to church. It's just boring and you want to do anything but. But now, um, and I see my kids in that same spot, so I try and be understanding. But right. um, I forgot how much I get out of just like going to a church and sitting in a pew and... Um, Man who fart in church, sitting <laughs> in his own say, pew. Yeah, I was going to go there, but, you know. So I, I just, it gives me a, a moment to, you know, close my eyes, do a little meditation, a little prayer. And there's also something about being in the same room as a bunch of people who are all kind of, you know, praying together, mm. you know, the prayers of the people and everybody sort of uh, coming together and, um, and giving the nod to the, to the higher power. Uh, and it was just a great feeling, and it made me remember how much I miss it. Um, you know, being part of something, especially like, you know, I've still been a deacon and a Sunday school teacher, but there's something about being there and feeling, you know, needed and helping in a small church. And, you know, I've, I grew up in it. Unknown caller. And I'm really sorry. We're connected to the board because of uh, calling Grant. In any case, it was great to get back to church. Um, you know, and then, uh, of course, those Sundays is, I don't know if this is the same in every state, but we had sports on Sunday. And yeah, so, thankfully, my kids are yeah. not sports kids. Yeah, you guys are doing um, Boy Scouts, right? Ben's doing Boy Scouts. Jack is getting into riflery. Um, Interesting. Yeah. I have a lot of, like, redneck hobbies for where we live in the country. Yeah, yeah. well, you live with some rednecks, yeah. but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, you well, know. Those are, are you calling my wife and kids rednecks? <laughs> well, you live across the street. <laughs> oh, from that, okay. Um, I don't know. What did you do Sunday? <sighs> Sunday. Sunday. Which day was Sunday? I don't know. Um, Didn't you go on a hike or something? Oh, no. I went to the beach on Sunday. Oh. Yeah. Cool. I took Ben 
because none of the other kids wanted to go because they were like, it's going to suck. There's no waves. And of course, the waves were like the best, (laughs) best waves, clean water. Uh, Me and Ben spent like two hours in in the beach at the beach just messing around. Aaron uh, read read a book on on land. Uh, Yeah, it was was good. No church, though, although I'm getting (laughs) you getting church envy. Well, I'm not getting church. I mean, I would go and, and my son, Dimitri, my oldest son, inexplicably, I, you know, I check my Amazon orders every once in a while because you never know what you're going to find in there. And he had ordered a Bible, a Catholic Bible. Good. And I'm like... Well, the Catholic Bible. But I don't it, even know what that means because... There, there's extra stuff in there that Protestants don't have. Is there? Yeah, the, the Apocrypha. Oh, you guys don't have the uh, the Revelations? No? We have Revelations. But That's the Apocrypha. Whatever the Apocrypha is, it's like a separate thing that the press, the Presbyterian... I should have looked this up. I'm going to look this up, the exact difference, but I know that there is a specifically different thing in the Catholic right. Bible. It, it's very so minor. I'd like to know why my 17-year-old son is ordering ordering the Bible when um, he's not, you know, really all that religious. It's, it's, I said to my wife, I said, I, I think we have stumbled upon the, the perfect formula for raising religious children is that you raise them with no religion. Right. So, so their rebellion goes the opposite way because right. I have my 17-year-old is now ordering Bibles and looking at Christian colleges. My middle son is now at a Catholic high school um, yeah. venerating the, uh, the host, which he did yesterday. <laughs> and my youngest son is asking me excitedly when religion class is going to start. My wife and I, who are, you know, we're pretty, I, I mean, we're, thea- we're theistic. No, I would say we're, we're both theistic, yeah. but, uh, but certainly not really all that attached to a, a particular uh, god or religion are looking at this and scratching our heads and with some degree of wonder, you know. Well, it's um, it's like my kids. You know, I, I own a sports store in town, and um, my oldest son has announced that he's never wants to play sports, <laughs> and he's not a sports kid. Like if yeah. I opened a YouTube store somehow, he would be an athlete. Um, <laughs> so yeah, right, that's how of that went. But you guys could listen this Sunday. We've got a big event at the church. It's called rally day. It's the first day of Sunday school. And there's a picnic after the service. And there's going to be pastor. Jeff is getting, um, ax throwing. Oh which yeah. You've done. I, I remember talk when he was here talking about that. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, uh, they're really doing it. <laughs> so you guys should come and then we can bring you into the fold. I don't know. know. That's a little, that's a little weird, man. <laughs> Showing up for a church picnic when you're not in the church. I agree. I did that last weekend, actually. You yeah. went to somebody else's church, but you yeah. didn't go to mine. My friend Danny and I went to um, over to uh, you know St. John's Church over by the fish hatchery. And honey, uh, yes, I do know that. There I used were, to go to meetings there. There were some owls apparently over there, so I went. We went with our cameras to take pictures of the owls, but we didn't realize that it was their church picnic. So we pull up and we parked. <laughs> And the deacon or whoever was standing at the door, and then we're walking around the back of the church, you know, taking pictures of stuff. And, you know, I look behind me, and there's all these trays of potato salad out, and there's everybody standing there in their nice clothes when the two of us creepy, like, paparazzi photographers walking around taking <laughs> pictures. So, yeah, I've crashed, I already crashed one church picture. Although a, no one offered me food or, or no. wanted to talk to me about Jesus, so I don't know. You know, there's a great AA meeting at that church that's been there like 100 years. Wow, I'll have to make sure to get there. Um, <laughs> You know, I think more about, like, I had such good times going to AA meetings, and um, I feel like they're all opening back up. Um, You know, speaking of church, we had more holidays this week. The kids were off again. Jewish holiday. Yeah. We have a new, uh, not a new Jewish, it's just brand new. Um, The the holiday is Yom Kippur, uh, Hebrew Yom Kippurium, English Day of Atonement, the most solemn of Jewish religious holidays observed on the 10th day of the lunar month of Tishri in the course of September and October when Jews seek to expiate, that's a good word, 
their sins and achieve reconciliation with God. So, hmm. is that what we were doing yesterday? You're supposed to fast, um, even though we're not Jewish. My mother was raised uh, to fast on Yom Kippur, so even to this day. She fasts on Yom Kippur. Does she really? Yes, yeah, she does. Good for her. And uh, so it goes sundown from the day prior to, um, I think, su- evening the next night. They differentiate evening and sundown somehow. I'm a big fan of atonement holidays. I, I, I really enjoy a good self-flagellation every once in a while. <laughs> yeah, you flagellating a little bit too much. Um, it's interesting because people don't think of the Jewish religion and, um, and uh, confession you know, mm. it's just not the first thing I think about in any case. And so, actually, they're, you know, that's what this whole holiday is about. Well, didn't, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I only got my Jewish history from my Catholic high school. Right. But wasn't the the original way it was done was um, you would whisper the, the sins into the ear of a goat, and then the goat would wander <laughs> off into the desert. And that's why, that's why we have the term scapegoat. <laughs> is that not true? But I don't know. <laughs> That's the greatest thing I've ever heard. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I assume that I've gone through life assuming that that is true. It might be. I mean, if monsters out there, look it up, please. Um, I'm very curious to know if that is a true story. Um, we went to Adventureland, which was... A pain in my fucking ass, as you wrote on the... <laughs> I wrote, it was a PTA pain in my fucking ass. What's a PTA? Oh. Parent Teacher Association. Right. Um, yeah, so you were there. Yeah. Did did you have a great time? I mean, look, it was empty, and an empty amusement park is always a better time than a full amusement park. It's cool. Uh, We've talked about Adventureland before. Yeah, because they just made us go like three months ago. They shut down this whole amusement park uh, just for people in our town. And of course, I'm like the mayor of this town because I'm just, I'm in this, this store and everybody comes in and out and... Uh, and so when I go to these things, I'm like, hello to like every single, hey, Ned, kids are going, hey, Ned. And I'm like, well, it's, it's a little disconcerting, you know? You, you can't just sneak off and pound some beers no, in the corner. There's a lot of accountability for me in this. There, there uh, is, especially I mean, amongst that group. I, I, I'm just walking around. I'm like, oh, I fought, fought with her on Facebook. Oh, I fought, I fought with that one on Facebook. Yeah. yeah I don't know. You. Yeah. I, uh, well, you heard my latest saga with the tree, right? I can't get the town to come and take the freaking trees off the front of my lawn. Yeah, Mike got banned, his his post removed on the parents' page. Well, you started that. Well, he, he, uh, it, it's very commonplace in our parents' group for our town to complain about things that the town is or isn't doing. So Mike made a post about the town, you know, planted some trees on my on their easement. Yes. <laughs> and uh, they're not taking care of it. And what the hell should I do? And... Uh, you know, and then so people were writing some funny things. My wife wrote, you know, bleach works, and and then I was like, well, what can I say? I want to say something funny too. And then yeah, I just had to wrote, outdo the wife, right? right as I just wrote <laughs> fire, and then. Mike wrote something to reply to that that was sort of like I replied. I said. That would be fun to watch, but I'd probably burn my house down. And then that was the... And Facebook banned the comment. Yes. yes. And then you blame me. And so. it, well, because, you know, These the Facebook things. got it backwards. They should have banned your suggestion to set the tree <laughs> on fire. away with it. Not my suggestion to not set the tree on fire. Whatever. I, and I don't care. Um, okay. I wanted to... Um, Where are we? Um, I wanted to place. talk about um, the Boy Scouts. And oh, um, okay. I, I have some... I'm I'm feeling guilty that my son stopped doing Boy Scouts. I mean, not that I was helping you that much to begin with, but 
I don't know. I feel like I've well, abandoned you a little bit, but it's really my son's fault, so I'm going to blame him. But you've moved on. You're moving to Boy Scouts, and you're you know well, stressing up, stressing I out. I don't know about that. You're going to... Um, ben hated it. Yeah. He hated his first meeting. He came home, and he was like, kids all hate me. They think I'm this and that. And I'm like, him. Ben, nobody hell? hates you. Yeah. Nope, they don't even know you. Like, <laughs> like, nobody just meets you and hates you. I mean, maybe that happens, but... I think he was feeling just a little overwhelmed by the fact that it was all older kids, and you know they yeah. but you know they split him into a patrol. You know the, his friend is in there, his They're other very, friend. It's like military, uh, yeah. Right? And they split those two up. But so I went in there thinking, like, because because conversations I have had with the adults in that troop before were like, yeah, why don't you come become an assistant scoutmaster and everything? So I drop Ben off, and none of them say anything to me, and I'm like, I'm like. At first, I'm like, "Well, this is fucking great. I don't. Yeah. Nobody's gonna make me go do training in you know some weird place and spend the whole weekend yeah. camping with somebody I don't know." Uh, and then I started getting a little pissed off. I'm like, "Well, shit, you know, what uh, what does the guy got to do to be tagged as an assistant scoutmaster?" Around here? <laughs> <laughs> now you're you know? kind of like, "What the fuck?" But um, you know, I think that's a good thing because I don't want Ben to feel like he's compelled to do it if you know. If I'm end up being an assistant scoutmaster, so I'm just going to ride it out and see how he does after a few weeks, and we'll see. Anyway, that's cool. Um, but I, I uh, you put on the outline that you know, Mike is pissed that I am not doing it with him. That no, is not true. That's my perception. That is your perception. You know, I feel like yeah, this is all in my head, but I'm I'm feeling like man, he feels like I abandoned him, and it's just because my kid doesn't want anything to do with Boy Scouts. But I'm also relieved that I don't have to do it. But I just feel terrible that. You've been uh, you've roped yourself into I, it. I think it's important to be able to say no. It right? is no is a complete sentence. It I is. Just, uh, it is. That. And too many of us uh, of the alcoholic uh, addict persuasion have a hard time saying no. So, yeah. I, do I have time to become an assistant scoutmaster? I do not. So, what I should do is go down there, and if they ask me, say, "No, I can't do it." But yeah. the flip side of that is, I'd like to do something with my son i'd like to see him more often and so on so you know yeah you gotta you really gotta balance these things kids am i right yeah um anyway i want to move on to a new segment because i'm always coming up with new segments um uh, and i want to move it along because grant is waiting patiently for us to call but i really wanted to get to this um i'm calling it monster wisdom so in the private group you know i'll post things mike posts things everybody posts stuff but Sometimes I, I post like a thought experiment question or I say, and then we get some great responses. So what I posted was something I was thinking about this morning. So much of life is a series of temporary situations, feelings, relationships, and jobs. What is one thing in your life you can with confidence say is permanent? You know, I was just thinking about permanence and how everything is temporary <clears throat> and how right. I think it was uh, Aaron Moore who said, you know, we were talking about a temporary sponsor. And she's like, you know, hey, like newsflash, they're all temporary because, you know, that's just the nature of existence and relationships. So uh, Jennifer D. said, um, my love for my children. Right. Uh, uh, Sarah S. said, my children. Right. Uh, Sally Maybe do we want to read the last names? I don't know. I I don't don't think so. I don't think so either. That's why I'm saying Sally M. Mm, Okay. Your relationship with yourself. Hmm. Hmm. I like that. Well, that is permanent. It is. Right? I mean, if you live past your physical death, you're still living with yourself. So that is permanent. Maybe. Um, The great Grant G says, I have a somewhat permanent tendency to cling to expectations about 
what should be permanent. Maybe I need more hmm. Buddhism. Mm-hmm. Uh, Amber P says God. Scott W says Sour Patch Kids. There's one in every crowd. Yep. Johnny I says Atman and Brahman, Spirit Soul, that part of me that is pure consciousness. No, nope, mm. that would have been my answer. That's a winner. But he, he took it. So I'm, I'm happy he took it. Uh, Jim Cougar says tattoos. And I think that was all of them yeah. that I fit on the page. So thank you so much for participating. I thought that was an interesting. We got some really great responses. And it made me think, you know, that's what I like about these thought experiments. It, it made like, me think, but I couldn't think up of a humorous and pithy answer for you. So I just let it slide. Very good. Yeah. Um, we're going to try and move on a little bit. I did want to make mention of uh, Sergeant Slaughter uh, informed me that he has lost another coworker uh, to a, it looks like a fentanyl overdose. Uh, and there was a, a story about it uh, in the New York Post. Uh, New York City cop who died in the job overdosed on fentanyl-laced drugs, uh, say sources. Um, don't they piss test those guys? Like I regularly? Know. I don't know. And there's an article, but I'm not going to read it. Um, but listen, it's just, you know, it's awful. And especially Sergeant Slaughter has lost a couple other, um, you know, coworkers you know, and, um, and friends recently. It's dangerous, folks. Um, if, if, you can, if you can get away from, you know, even cocaine right now, even when you see a pill that looks like it came from a, a pharmacy, they're being pressed. People are, are making fentanyl pills and selling them as Xanax. Um, it will kill you. It will kill you. It killed me, and it will kill you. Uh, so please, please be safe out can there. You, can you buy one of those tests to test your drugs, like over-the-counter at a pharmacy? Um, I, don't, I don't think so, but I know that people like Tracy Helton and her nonprofit, um, mm-hmm. which I can't remember the name of, she does things like that. She'll send out Maybe we should find out how we can do that. Put that in the show notes because... I have Narcan in, in my shop. If you have to use Narcan you, and you're by yourself, that doesn't help you very much. No, it's so for the, some the, other junkie that the, dies. The better thing Not would be this junkie. to be able to, like if somebody, if you buy a bag of Coke, you know, to be able to test it before you stick it yeah. up your nose, right? To, to see if it's got fentanyl. That's what they're telling people to do. Even if you're doing cocaine, that you should do that. Um, last thing I want to mention before we call Grant... Um, I, I watched the new, I'm always trolling uh, Amazon Prime and other streaming services for new addiction-related documentaries, oh, yeah? uh, fictional movies, which I've recently, I call it addiction fiction. I like it because it rhymes. And um, I've, since I've seen so many and I watch them the minute they come out, I don't usually see new ones. But this new one called Snow Babies, S-N-O Babies, hmm. uh, was, uh, it's a fiction, it looks like it's low budget a little bit, but... When I watched it, it was actually pretty well done. Probably is low budget, but the acting was good. It's the story of a upper middle class girl um, in some suburban town in, uh, in America that you know gets into heroin, fentanyl, and her life just fucking <laughs> right off the tracks. She gets herself in scenarios like she gets raped. She sells her body for heroin. She even gets, and some of it was really unbelievable. Like she carries a baby to term. It sounds like it's a little over the top. Yeah, Yeah. it is. It is. But some of it, like when they show her withdrawing is very realistic. Um, You know, the fact that she carries a baby to term while living in her parents' house and they don't know till it's born in the woods and they find it. It's like kind of fantasy. (laughs) But um, (laughs) if you like addiction fiction uh, and you're looking for something new, 
Snow Babies. Uh, I give it uh, three out of five stars. Do you, do you feel sometimes like when those when those movies go way over the top like that, they run the risk of having the opposite effect? Because well, that's, that's there were all these just me. say no, you know, ads and stuff in the eighties, and all that made me want to do was do more drugs, yeah. you know, to be like fuck you, you know. I, yeah. yeah so I don't know. I don't know. It, it had that effect on me. I mean, I was like, I guess oh, that's ridiculous. You lost me, but. Uh, there's a lot of scenes in it where they, they show recovery and they show what happens to you. And it can happen to anybody. You can fall into it. Was it a happy ending? Um, I don't remember. Okay. <laughs> Maybe I didn't watch <laughs> the right, end. There you go. Um, anyway, should I, uh, we should call Grant um, and move on to the next. Um, well, before segment. we call him, let me just, I'll do the first part of the introduction. Got because, um, you know, we don't have a lot of guests on our show. No. We don't. In fact, I, I mean, I, there's a lot of other podcasts that have guests like every week. I get nervous. Right? I don't like it. Yeah. I mean, I was a guest on one of those. <laughs> you were a guest on one. We yeah. were a guest together on a uh, recovery podcast. But, um, I mean, you know, we don't want to get bogged down in that predictable formula. We don't have to try and spend all week finding a guest that would appeal to our, you know, vast and deep audience. But from time to time, we come across somebody who has a story that we think would benefit the listeners. Uh, and so it is with this week's guest, right? Yeah. Uh, Grant from Sacramento, G Money Smooth, is one of uh, RMA's most loyal supporters. He's one of the moderators of the RMA Facebook group, also the architect behind SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. Familiar with them? I am. That's they're, they're an aggregate of recovery and addiction news that we rely on here at RMA for recovery in the news and to keep abreast of the goings on in the world about recovery. So maybe let's give them a call. All right. And without further adieu, um, I am going to call him. Make sure the volume is good. I still have a, um, there's a second. Hello. Good morning. Good morning. Hello. <laughs> is this Grant Money Smooth? <laughs> Hey, you know what? Happy recovery month, and uh, stigma was part of my problem, and so my little step that I'm taking forward today is, you can use my last name, Grant Boykin. All right. All right. Okay. That's awesome, and and thanks for doing this. I know I understand. You know, having done Annie Grace myself, and I, I basically was you know freaking out the entire time and every minute leading up to it. So I appreciate the uh, the level of um, internal insanity that's probably going on in your head yeah but. i i wanted to just say to grant um i want to thank you for all of your help oh yeah man. for sure you have been awesome i mean you know really taking the ball and running away it helps us a lot and i'm really you glad know, to it's have become you my little hobby just like you guys have your little hobby the podcast helping you guys out is uh it's something i've really enjoyed doing so oh, that's really great I mean, what I like about your story, you know, I, and you, you sent me like a, an outline and uh, it was it was very thorough. And if I could have one request to future guests is that you send me a detailed outline of, <laughs> of your your story. Um, I mean, besides the obvious appeal of your hero's journey arc uh, is the fact that, you know, the, the whole angle of the describing yourself as a high functioning alcoholic. Um, I think there's a number of listeners, fair number of listeners we have who are able to keep their drinking and using going while at the same time uh, enjoying, you know, relative success in a career and having a normal appearing life. And just feeling like shit all the time. Um, The key word, of course, is appearing because as anyone who's ever been there could tell you when you're wrestling with an addiction while you're trying to hold down a professional career, you spend a lot of time on uh, appearances, carefully crafting that appearance. But I, I think you hit the nail on the head there. There's a double-edged sword in a couple of ways about the whole high-functioning thing. And the first one is, how high are you actually functioning? Well, right. Yeah, I look back yeah. on my career, and I just think, 
you know, it was the last five years, it was sort of daily, not because I wanted to have fun or party at work. It just, I sort of lost the ability to, uh, you know, I, I forgot what it was like to, to go through the day without drinking and clearly not at my best, but yes, going under the radar. So, but that, that's a problem in itself because then it's hard for you when you finally should be admitting you got a problem. Mm-hmm. It's kind of hard when it really hasn't come and, and bit you the way that it has with others. And it's easier to say, well, I'm not like them. You know, this hasn't happened to me. No DUI, no job loss until, right. you know, you're high functioning, you're flying under the radar until you're not. And that's my story. But it does allow you to carry on far longer than you would if you were, um, you know, I mean, the thing about like, uh, you know, moderate to heavy alcohol use is, is we're very good at, at hiding it for long periods of time. Yeah. Or I we mean, think we are. Well, but, but I mean, yeah. if you're smoking crack, it's much harder to go to a professional job and, for and the hold record, your shit together. For the record, <laughs> I smoked crack while I was the marketing director for a company. And, uh, <laughs> and I think the boss was on to me one time cause I would just, I'd run out to grab it. You know, the guy would meet me I'd come back into my office and I would go in the corner and just hit it a couple times. And then one time, one of the owners was like, he's like, you cooking in there? And uh, I don't know if he was kidding or serious, but I was like, oh, shit, they know. You know? <laughs> that doesn't smell like yeah, a cigarette. And if your choice, yeah, the crack will take yeah, you, you out. <laughs> yeah, And if your choice is vodka, like mine, it goes in a water bottle on the treadmill at the workplace gym in the morning. It oh, goes, yeah. it, it, it goes with you in a way that a glass pipe does not. Right. Were you uh, were you running and taking pulls off the vodka bottle? Because that is some next level shit right there in terms of hiding. So I have less energy now and I look back and I get exhausted at what I was doing. But I was not about to let anything get in the way of my work and life routine. So I would get up at 530. I would go run on the treadmill or along the river near work and then I'd shower and get to work, get to work on time. So all of those things that people say, tell employers to look for, for signs of addiction, you know, missing days of work and not being, you know, I was, none of that was going to happen with me. Uh, You know, eventually it was people smelling it on my breath a couple of times. Mm. I mean, that, that's really interesting. I, I did the same thing. Like I, uh, you know, I'm a runner, so I would just run. I would run through the hangovers. I'd run through the, I'd run half drunk, you know. That sounds horrible. Yeah. <laughs> well, but you know what? But there was also that thing in the back of your head that's like, well, I'm running, man. I'm do, I'm healthy. I'm doing something All healthy. Right. You know, how bad could it be? Yeah, it's anyway, like let's a Diet Coke with your Big Mac value meal. Yeah, and just one thing I, on I do that. that all the time. I, I think my <laughs> mantra is, you know, what most people think of as a hangover, you know, people like us thought of as the morning. Yeah, but right, like, right. I think your story's a little <laughs> bit different because you weren't you weren't starting out with uh, <laughs> alcohol with your morning coffee, right? You didn't do that during the no, day. No, no, I, I lived yep. I lived for five o'clock basically. Um, yep, yep. But, but I was able to I was able to keep it out of the mornings. Unless I was at a conference yep. and there was drinking at noon and but yeah, I was never a morning guy. Um, yep. let's 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 reel it back a little bit and start start a little further back. So, well, first of all, how much, how much time do you have now? Like how, when was your last drink? Oh, I thought you meant how much time for this interview. Oh, no, no. Time. <laughs> but no time since my last drink is my, my sober date, you know, and, and I have several, but my sober date is August 10th of this year. I hit a year. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. So I got about 13 months. Sorry, I have these, so I have to use them. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Awesome. That's fantastic, man. Um, 
And so you're from Sac- you're in Sacramento now, but are you from Sacramento? From Wisconsin originally, and then moved out here for graduate school in my twenties. Met the woman that I married, and uh, my life is out here now. Wisconsin is probably pretty different culturally from California, I would imagine. <laughs> Slightly, to put it mildly. Yeah. I, I listen to friends and wonder how did you get that accent, but I, I guess I've lost my accent, or I like to think I have over time. But yeah, and it was you know just like every workplace, and you talked about this, Mike. Well, I came from a really high you know a, an alcohol culture, mm-hmm. marketing attorney picket, but you know I think any states like that. But I think in any of the national surveys of like bars per you know, the bar to church ratio or whatever you want to choose. Wisconsin's pretty high. And, um, yeah, looking back at my childhood, it was, you know, I, my first drunk was at 12 and ended up in the hospital. And, uh, you know, so that was probably a harbinger of things to come. But, you know, I don't think it was everybody, but certainly the people that I chose to be around through middle school and high school, um, it was all about procuring alcohol for the weekend and then drinking it when the weekend came around. Um, it was, you know, and then if you, when I look at, I'd never been to a high school reunion, but I'm on my Facebook group for my high school people. And, you know, the reunions are all centered around alcohol, drinking oh, on the golf course, yeah. drinking at the sports bar. And so, you know, it's a very drinking culture, but I think a lot of places are, so I don't know how different Wisconsin is. Than yeah, it seems place. ubiquitous. I mean, like like we always say, you know, you go to Chuck E. Cheese's for a kid's party and you can get <laughs> Bud Light on tap. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought yeah. Long Island in the 80s was an especially drunken, cocaine-infested place, but I suppose in the 80s a lot of places were drunken and cocaine-infested. I feel um, like a lot of places today are. <laughs> but all the cocaine yeah, is... Yeah, and now you go to the movie theater and what a, like... Can I pretend I'm going to the bathroom and get one of those drinks and down it and go back and sit with my family? That was a calculation that used to run through my head. There's alcohol at movie theaters? There is. In California, we got some. I think it's becoming more common. It's hard to know. I mean, who's been to a movie theater lately, right? Yeah. Yeah, that was a good thing. Yeah, I was the master of if we were doing a family function or out somewhere, even at a restaurant, and I was pretending not to drink. It hit the bathroom, so to speak, and then quick to the bartender, you know, you know, two shots of tequila, and I down them, go to the bathroom, we come back. So if that, if I had a, the movie theaters had that option, man, that would have been bad. And isn't it liberating not to have to do that work of thinking when oh, am I going to be able to sneak it in? A hundred percent, and I always notice it. You know, I always remind myself. I'll say. This is one of those times that I would have snuck, like I was at you know a Yankees game like a couple of years ago, and I was thinking to myself, man, I went to the bathroom, and I was like, the last time I was at Yankee Stadium, when I went to the bathroom, I downed like a twenty ounce, like two twenty ounce beers in five minutes. We got to drink a lot of beer at Yankee Stadium because it's it's watered down, and like it's thirty dollars a cup. Um, so I did think I, that's every baseball. Yeah, yeah probably. Ahead. Did I hear you say that the first time you drank at twelve, you ended up in the hospital? That that's an interesting yeah. story. Yeah, you know, and it's funny, when you're in, in the rooms of recovery, as we say, um, yeah, I don't know about you, but my head always turns when somebody say they first drank at 15 or 16. I'm mm. like, wow, you held off. Because um, I think <laughs> it is pretty common. But people, parents listening out there, it, the earlier your kids start, the more likely they are to develop a problem later on. But yeah, yeah I was with a, a friend of mine and a neighborhood, the girl who lived in the neighborhood, 
just said, hey, I could get you guys a bottle of brandy. And my friend said, sure. Not that I wasn't culpable in that. So we paid for a bottle of brandy, and she threw in a beer, and I hid it in my tree fort. So there I am straddling adulthood and childhood, mm-hmm. drinking beer in my tree fort. And when I drank that first beer, I thought all was right with the world. I was mm. alone up there. I came in for dinner. I was relaxed. It was Memorial Day weekend, I want to say 1981. Wow. Yeah. And uh, my friend came over, we drank in a field, and none of us, you know, neither of us had drank before, and so we didn't have any uh, sense of when to stop. <laughs> the whole bottle. Yeah. My brother found us, went to the hospital, stomach pumped, and, uh, you know, <laughs> should have taught me a lesson. I was going to say, did 12, it... 12, and did, so those lessons don't sink in. Did it Did it put a, a crimp in your stride, or were you, were you just like... You know, I'm going to do some more of that. Yeah, i got to get better at that. Yeah. You, know? <laughs> you know, access was an issue, obviously, at 12, even in Wisconsin. Um, <laughs> but it did, you know, I think it was the, the beer that I had a couple nights before my friend and I drank that I thought, you know what, there's something to that. It really made me relax. And so I think it sort of set the stage so that when I would have access and that got more frequent as, as I got older. And then, you know, frankly, I worked at a my kids who will listen to this will laugh because I tell stories about it all the time, but we lived in the suburbs and there was a horse farm uh, on the edge of our suburban development. And I worked there all through high school, but there was always an older guy there, always good for pot or for buying beer for the weekends. And so, yeah, access became easier as I got older. But I think that first drinking sort of set the stage for, yeah, this is something that uh, I understand and makes me feel good. I recently found out that not everybody has that reaction to the first drink. Like for me, I felt like I had found like the key to all of life's problems uh, with the first beer, but other people don't have that experience. Yeah. Interesting. I was just listening to Amy Dresner and Joe Schrank's podcast, Rehab Confidential, and I, I hadn't listened in a while, so I was catching up. And the most recent episode... They got the doctor, can't think of his name, who was like, you know, the architect of getting now Trexone, you know, kind of developed and tested. And uh, and he, he had some very interesting uh, facts. If you haven't listened to that, listen to it. It's um, it's really interesting. Um, but he I was, did. And not yeah. to betray you guys, but I'm occasionally in touch with those folks. Oh, too, no so. kidding. <laughs> <laughs> they have some great guests on there. So. Really? Nice yeah. I mean, I was like, wow, this guy is really sharp. And he was talking about um, kind of like how how when you can predict, he said, um, whether or not someone will be more likely to be an alcohol, you know, have substance use disorder by the way they react to like how they feel after having what did he say like three beers? If you have more energy and it makes you want the fourth, then you are probably going to be an alcoholic. Huh. And if you're one of these people who just drink one or two and get tired and don't want any more, then you're probably not going to be, is what he said. I wish somebody so, had yeah, told I was me that. Listen- <laughs> I was listening to that yes, just yesterday. I was finishing that one up, and that really resonated with me. If you get energy from it, or probably if there's other positive effects, like, hey, I'm more comfortable in a social setting, you know, if it has all those positive benefits rather than just, it makes me tired. And I thought that's me. And like I was saying before, when I look back at how much, you know, I used to accomplish ineffectively, but, you know, being drunk all day and, uh, or, you know, buzzed all day, drinking all day, um, it, it, it did something for me. And the 
keeps you going. So I think there's something to that. Yeah, so. that's what Naltrexone or, or Vivitrol, I always get Naloxone mixed up with Naltrexone. But, you know, that that's the whole base science behind uh, Naltrexone is it takes away when, when you're on it and you do drink because, you, you know, you're an alcoholic, you must have a drink. But when you do, that reward stops. Mm-hmm. You still yep. can feel drunk. I remember drinking enough to get some kind of buzz when I was on Vivitrol. But the idea is it's, they call it pharmacological extinction. where <laughs> you, yep. um, A lovely term. Yes, it's very catchy. Where you don't get that reward anymore and therefore you don't crave that drink. And maybe that's what happened to me because I did a serious uh, course of naltrexone and Camprol. And maybe, I don't know, maybe that's what did it. Maybe that's why I don't crave alcohol. Yeah. I don't get the you know, reinforcement. Say, yeah, just jumping in there. Yeah, Vivitrol is the brand name of the the like long injectable. Yeah, it's a big Naltrexone, needle. but I, I had the Naltrexone pills, and I found um, what it did for me is it made me need to drink more, right? <laughs> and then made me think each morning, uh, maybe I shouldn't take this pill because then I can get yeah. the effect with less. And so I'm in a, in a I'm in several sober Facebook groups and there's this woman from the UK and one of my sober groups and she's just holding out hope the National Health Service and she's in Britain will will get her her naltrexone and get her on the Sinclair method meantime she's always reporting in with day ones and I just yeah. you know yeah. private message saying don't hold your hope, hope out for a pill you know because yeah. it didn't work for me but you know there is and one of the things I like about putting together those news clips is um yeah, it really, it forces me to pay attention to what's going on, but mm. the science around it is fascinating. And just a few things they're doing. One is um, Mayo Clinic is doing this research to figure out if there's genetic markers that will indicate which people are better served by things like a Campro mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. something. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff that they're doing. Cancer so. research is, that's sort of what they're trying to do with cancer, right? to treat it where that you get as you know your genetic makeup will indicate what treatment will actually work and yeah they can do that with you know every disease you know that would be something yeah. well it's a great way to, and, to and apply it, science too and addiction is not one of those orphan diseases you know that shouldn't get attention it's huge but i think you know everything you hear and they were talking about this on rehab confidential that you know historically doctors have not wanted to treat addiction because it feels hopeless, but there's hope that a new generation of doctors is really more interested in learning about it. So, so um, first drink at 12, continue to drink. Did you start doing anything else? I think uh, it was, was uh, any other drugs part of your story from a young age? You weren't a straight <laughs> juicer. As they yeah, say. as they say. <laughs> no, I mean, it all comes back to juice, and, and that's how it started. But, yeah, I mean, there was pot through my later years of high school and in college, and that was a pretty regular thing. And I used to pat myself on the back for not drinking as much as those University of Wisconsin kids. But, yeah, <laughs> soap all day. And then, um, yeah, I think I've shared with you, I'm not as big of a deadhead as you, I don't think, Mike, but I did have some friends from the East Coast, from the tri-state area, who introduced me to things like psychedelics. And, and you know, I had a couple of years where I went to probably 12 dead shows or so. And, Did you catch any of those uh, Alpine really Valley shows? The Alpine what? Any Alpine Valley only shows? Saw one at Alpine, only one at Alpine Valley. That's sort of like the... Uh, Oh, maybe the Midwest version of the New Year shows at Oakland Coliseum, I yeah. guess. But, uh, yeah, it's like a mecca. For, but only one there ever. And um, 
But yeah, I never liked the psychedelics. Way too, made me much too introspective. Mm. It, was, it was exhausting. Maybe do this. You know, maybe I had moments of joy, but mostly it was hard work to sort of stay sane and say, all right. <laughs> That's the thing. I'm okay. This will end. <laughs> right. I mean, that's the thing about LSD is like, you know, having taken it a, a fair amount of times since I was sort of on the dead tour for five years there, like um, the first like 10 or so times, it was great because you're just riding out on the on the hallucinations and the you're everything. You're exploring. Is, yeah. It's, it's like it's, the world is but different. Like, <laughs> but like the 11th through the 20th time when you start you know, doing incessant like navel gazing and wondering about the relationship with your parents and mm-hmm. stuff and like how much of an asshole you are. It's like, uh, mm-hmm. all right, enough of this. Uh, I'm, I'm, enough. I'm done with and that. That's where I went always. Yeah. Um, so that's <laughs> right. why I didn't like it. Yeah. Like yeah. what kind of a person am I? What right. <laughs> yeah. again, I mean, how many times do you have to do that before you're like, maybe this drug isn't yeah. for me. I need something a little, little with a little more oomph to it. It's funny. Cause that was the last time I did acid. Honestly, I remember having this thought. I did it a lot in high school. I was at a boarding school and I would do it. I just, I somehow got, got acid and I did it a lot, like every weekend. And then I remember distinctly, there was one time I had, I'd done it and I was in one of those modes where I'm being introspective and I'm thinking about myself. And I came to the conclusion that if I wanted, you know, my, what I wanted in life to happen, I couldn't do acid anymore. <laughs> and literally I never did it again. Yeah. No weird. Well, it worked yeah. for you then. Yeah. yeah that's why the, <laughs> the stories about people microdosing on psilocybin and you know or taking <laughs> yeah. ayahuasca the cure for addiction like more power to anyone yeah. who that works for but i ain't going there yeah, <laughs> yeah no Just, i don't yeah. want anything to do with it no. yeah so um so you went to U- university, of wisconsin, university of wisconsin madison, madison and yep. did you graduate did graduate four yeah. years and Super. then took a little little time off and um, I had done an education abroad program in Hungary and then I went back and worked for a nonprofit there doing uh, an educational program. How did you find and the drinking then, culture in Europe? Um, in Eastern Europe, I think you got to distinguish. Um, mm. That's when, uh, you know, it wasn't uncommon for workers on their way to work to stop at a little kiosk and get a little Pepsi with a little red wine mixed in it. And then I worked in an office that was integrated with um, with Westerners and Eastern Europeans and, you know, the, the people from Western Europe or the U S would kind of criticize the Hungarians for going out and drinking at lunch. And I thought, what a lovely tradition, (laughs) you know, and, and, um, you know, years later I would take that on and then some, but, um, (laughs) you know, it was was an interesting cultural experience working together in that office. Years later, Um, when you looked back on that, um, as a as a justification, were you thinking and were you thinking, oh, I'm just I'm not an alcoholic. I'm just drinking like Europeans because <laughs> because that that you know at a certain point, no matter what you know how deep you're into it and how much you try and rationalize, you realize that yeah. when you got a little bottle in your desk drawer and you're hiding it, or I had a closet in my office where. No, I, I realized at some level that I had gone beyond. <laughs> airplane bottles? Were, 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 I used to stuff, I'd pick no, up 10 you, airplane you get bottles. A, that's too expensive. You buy the cheap, big plastic jug, keep it in the garage, and then fill other bottles from that one. So that's good strategy. Go all day. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find out it's not that uncommon, um, the vodka in a cheap plastic jug. Oh, yeah. Garage, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> 
I, Iron City Vodka used to be a favorite of mine. I, don't I finally know if they sell that in the Midwest, I, <laughs> California. I finally stopped finding bottles in my house. There was a long time after I got sober that my wife would periodically be like, "I found another can or another bottle," and I'm and I was like, "I, I really don't remember <laughs> that." And she didn't believe me at first, but then as the years went on and things would still pop up, you know, cleaning the house, what the hell is this? But finally, there's no more bottles. I hope. <laughs> but yeah, I was a hider for sure. I was a hider, but I was very prepared and very um, conscientious about that. So I had one spot, and when one came in, one went out, and so because I didn't want, I didn't want the same thing to happen that happened to you. And yeah, yeah. Years later, you got bottles coming out of the woodwork. Oh my god, it's nonstop. So, um, so in your twenties, you were still drinking, you know, quote unquote, normally. Yeah. You know? Yeah, and I always told myself, um, you know, that as I look back at my story, I always think, you know, I was pretty normal during my 20s and even my 30s. Um, even though it started 30s, I started hiding it and drinking in the evenings. But then when I look back, there's always sort of a problematic relationship with alcohol. Um, and one of the stories I think that highlights it best, and this is something that doesn't happen to everybody. So I was, when I was on my education abroad program, I was traveling alone over the the winter break and I was in Seville, Spain and uh, walking through a park. I looked like a tourist, obviously, and this older gentleman came up and started talking to me. You know, his English was about as good as my Spanish, but we fumbled through a conversation. He asked me to to dinner. So we go to this dinner. It's it's, uh, at the edge of a park, like a big banquet hall. It's like six o'clock. So if you've ever been to Spain, you know, Six o'clock is way early. It's very, very early. Um, mm. And we're in this big banquet hall that probably seats 200, and it's just us at a table and like three wait staff hovering around us. And, um, and you know, the meal was quite good, and we got wine. And but it felt a little weird, felt a little off. But then the bill came, and it was like, you know, I peeked at it, and it was like $200, but he was, you know, big shot, going to pay for it all. And then he asked me to go to a bar. And what am I going to do? It's a $200 dinner. <laughs> and then I woke up in his car Ooh. outside of town. And there was a sign that said, like, four kilometers to Sevilla, to Seville. And, uh, you know, so worst day ever because I was <laughs> in the car. But I look over, and you know what? He was having a fine time because he found a way to pleasure himself. Oh, and wow. uh, so I got out of the car. Whoa. And uh, just told him I'm walking back to town. I probably could have used the walk anyway. Probably not the best to be riding with him. But I got back that morning and just you know felt awful about what happened. Thought, how did I let that happen? And so did he? Uh, later, did he GHB you, or was this just straight alcohol? You know, I, I sometimes look back now that we know about that stuff. I don't know because I didn't at the time. I did not have a history of blacking out or passing out and. Um, so it's wow. just a wild experience that should have been another lesson, right? Just like the time I was in the hospital, but, um, <laughs> you know, didn't learn. But that's what, when I look back at my story and say I drank normally in my 20s, uh, I'm like, yeah, no, there's signs, <laughs> there's indications that something wasn't right. But I thought it was funny. I was, at the time, I had a, a roommate who was a woman, and we met up in Amsterdam before heading back to Hungary. And when I told her the experience, hoping for some sympathy, her, her response was good. Now you know what it feels like. <laughs> <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, wow. 
Wow, that's a so, that's a story, all right. I, yeah, I mean, you got to work yeah. that out in therapy, or have you <laughs> have you discussed this with uh, your clinician? You know, I think I've processed it, and I like the the dopey model of. Uh, and for those who don't know, dopey is a podcast, another or the podcast and a Facebook community, the mm. Dopey Nation. But um, you know that that humor is super important as a way to look back on things and and move past them. And so I, I like to think I processed that one. I talked about it here on your, you know, with your. Audience, so. Yeah, humor is huge go. for us. And um, when I do <clears throat> some ads for um, for our show, I, I have a couple of really well-performing ads. But uh, the, what I put on it is, I don't know if you've seen it, Addiction Recovery Comedy Podcast, because I'm trying to say it all in you know as few words as possible. And then we'll get comments on it. And there's always a couple of people who are like, this is not Nothing funny. Nothing funny about addiction. You know, I lost my nephew, which is horrible, but... And then usually it's someone who isn't in recovery who gets offended because they don't realize that Gallo's humor, I mean, that's like one of the first things I learned going to AA is that we can laugh about this. And then not only can we laugh, we should laugh because it's medicine to laugh and it, and it helps you process things. I mean, it is. And yeah. just this, you probably haven't seen it, but just this morning, I'm a moderator, as you know, because you made me that for, yes. for your uh, Facebook group. And I approved a post from a guy named Rob who, you know, he's coming up on his first weekend of sobriety. And, nice. um, you know, he's got no program with an MM and an E. So I guess he's one of our friends from across the pond. And, um, you know, he, he found the podcast and then found this naked mind through the podcast. So if the, if the humor brings people in and then ultimately helps, that's a great thing. Yeah, we still I mean, take it seriously. Yeah. of course. I mean, the reason it's so funny to us is because we're we're here, we survived, and we're kind of <laughs> on the other side. You yeah, know? I can see how people who yeah. are still perhaps not yeah, you know, where we sad. are thinking. Well, like that one woman who's like, "I lost all of my husbands to addiction," and I'm like, "All of them? All of them? <laughs> like, wow!" <laughs> you know, I, I had to sort of bite my because I was like, <laughs> "That's funny, I, right there." Should I leave like some snark to this woman's <laughs> yeah. guy? And I was like, "No, yes. I'm not gonna." Uh, yeah, I mean, but you got to right. laugh. We have to laugh, otherwise, what's yeah, what, what's is, the alternative? Just crying all the time. You, yeah, I've cried enough. And if you right, if you talked to me a year, year and a half ago, I would not have found the humor in it. My right. life, as I knew it, was over. And yeah. partly, um, and you know, I'm mixed like you guys are, but the twelve step program really helped me to move on from the past, focus on now, and not worry so much about the future. And yeah, now I, I like to say I moved to the point where I can laugh about it and see that it's healthy. Yeah, there's something about being around all those other people who, you know, they'll tell their stories and you know that they've come from worse or bad situations. And there they are moving on with their life, hanging out together, laughing about it. And it gave me a lot of comfort just to be in a, in a, in a room with people who are kind of like, it's okay, man. You don't ever have to, and my favorite is you don't ever have to feel that way again. Um, that one always stayed with me. And um, that camaraderie, we, you know, we read that clip out of the big book about, you know, being, a, you know, like you survive a, a boat crash and you're all on the, on the lifeboat together. You know, you're all from different walks of life, different stations in society, but you have a camaraderie with these people because you survive together. And, uh, and it's that kind of thing that it really, um, it helps a lot of people. It's beautiful. Yeah, no, there is this definite common bond that puts us together. And I think there is something really positive about people who come through, you know, kind of the worst 
like that, they discover a lot about themselves. And if they're able to move on, they have a, a great story and a great future ahead of them. I do a little bit, you know, because I got so interested in this and taking some counseling classes. And I lead a group session twice a week with people, you know, completely different life situations than mine. But it's a drug and alcohol counseling uh, program for fathers trying to regain or retain custody of their kids. And um, wow. that we, we have such... In ninety-minute session twice a week, same same group of people both nights. Um, we just have such connection, even though we all come from different walks of life and different experiences, because we're battling the same stuff. So. Yeah, I wanted to ask you actually, Grant, about what you're doing because um, I, I'm sort of like I'm not clear because I'm I'm so scattered and and I haven't like read through you know all the emails. You know, like, but what I have you found do- it inc- yeah. incredibly confusing in. In California, it's probably that way everywhere. There's different uh, nonprofits that sanction mm. treatment training programs, and Me there's too. just a morass, an alphabet soup of, of stuff. But <clears throat> I found a program. It's an accredited nonprofit that accredits other training programs, and they have a, a program to work toward being a certified alcohol and drug counselor in California. Cool. And, um, Saturday classes, pandemic thinking, I thought, what the hell else am I doing on Saturday? Yeah, so I man. started that. And then through that, I found out about this opportunity in the evenings. And when I started there, they said, oh, you should be a registered alcohol and drug technician. I said, what's that entail? Paying a fee and taking a, a self-driven ethics course. So mm-hmm. I did that. And, um, you know, just sort of plugging away. But, you know, I don't know where I want to take it. My background is in public policy and legislation. And I would I'd love to work in that area. But um, learning a lot, doing the counseling education, and it's enjoyable. It's just I can't make a leap from my normal career right now because I got two kids in college. Right. And, uh, but it's, it's sort of a, a post-pension, you know, employment plan for me, I think. Yeah, I was thinking about that once I finished college after 25 years. Um, I was really thinking about, you know, and the same thing. I was looking at, you know, at, in New York, we have a C-A-C-A-C, CASAC, C-A-S, C-A-C-K. Yeah, I've heard you mention that before. CASAC is, is the New York standard. It's also, you know, besides getting an, a, a master's in, like, mental health counseling, you can actually get a CASAC without that. And then there's different levels, and it's it's run by the state um, and it's a lot of hours you, you have to do like residency hours and stuff, but then there's other ones, yep. like you said, um, recovery, Mike, who is a, a friend of the show on, he's also on, uh, dopey nation. He's got, um, he, he had a, a certification for like a peer counselor. That's, I can't remember. We have something yeah. similar to that. And I've heard you mention that it's like a, a weekend thing in New York and your wife is supportive. You should go for it. Yeah, I would love, I mean, I, if nothing else, then like the the, um, the local outpatient uh, place in, in our town where I went to actually, and I have a great relationship with them. I still send, you know, some of the uh, homeless guys or you know, that come in who are struggling with uh, addiction. I always tell them, you know, go see uh, Barbara, tell them I sent you. And, um, and they're, they lost a couple of employees. And I'm like, if, if I had like that peer counselor thing, I think that I could at least like volunteer in an official capacity and maybe that would be good for my recovery. Another thing to consider is, yeah, they're always looking for help. And so if you go to like an outpatient program, you could start on a volunteer basis. And many people in my class did that. And then they tell you, 
hey, here's what we need you to do. Take this training, get this certification. Yeah. And they kind of, you know, because there's a lot of turnover in that field. People yeah. burn out or they relapse. Yeah, and so if you stick with it, they would want to, um, you'd be an investment for them. and they. You know, yeah, you don't do it for the money. You, you definitely no, don't do it for the not. money. No. And, and the other thing I should say, because I got people in my class and there's a big split over this, do you need lived experience? And, um, yeah, I, th- I think there's some value in the lived experience of going through addiction. But um, I always felt when people start beating up on the quote-unquote normies in our class, I always say, look, if I have a brain tumor, I'm not necessarily going to go to the guy who had a brain tumor. I'm going to go to the surgeon who does brain tumor surgery. Right. You know? um, and so I think anyone who has empathy and an aptitude for you know listening and and listening and and education can, can yeah. do that work. Yeah, I mean, um, we, Grant, you and I were talking about this um, over Messenger last week, and it's one of those things that's come up a lot. Um, and I've worked with people that helped me, you know, who were, uh, recovered alcoholics and addicts and others that were strictly like academicians, you know, type of things, medical doctors. And I got, and I've heard that, you know, people, I can't, I don't trust anything this person says cause they haven't been through it. They don't get it. They don't understand. And what I always remind people is the, the, the AA program, you know, borrows heavily from a Dr. Silkworth and Carl Jung, both of whom yep. are not alcoholics, but do we get something out of their insight knowledge? I mean, absolutely. Definitely. Yeah. So, um, so we, it sounds like you're doing an awful lot of stuff in your recovery, which is awesome. Um, how did, how did we get to this point? Like, um, I don't think we got to the end of the, uh, the end of the story. We didn't get to my rock bottom story. Yes. Where's no. the rock bottom, yeah. sir? Yes. Yeah. So, you know, fits and starts, um, like many, I didn't have just one bottom, but I can tell you that the biggest bottom, it's funny how much we talk about our asses, but, um, <laughs> yeah. Talking about Jennifer Lopez. You know, do you have a low bottom? Do you have a high bottom? Do you have a J-Lo kind of bottom? bottom? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, no, not, well, I don't know. It's, it's big. So, um, yeah, I, I was discovered at work in spring of 2019 and I thought I could do it on my own and then couldn't. So I told my wife, went into outpatient program, thought I was doing well. I did a trip, you know, late February, early March of 2020. I was in DC for a conference. So trigger conference, mm, yep. cocktail hour, traveling alone in the airport. But I was so proud of myself. I did great. Met up with a coworker there, you know, just, um, you know, loving sobriety. And then the apocalypse of the pandemic hits and all my sober groups are like, I freaked out and I went out. That sort of allowed me, it gave me my justification to kind of let it go. Things were stressful at work, trying to, I was in a leadership position, trying to work with the team to get 1,500 people to be able to do their jobs effectively from home, you know, mm-hmm. turn on a dime like that. And it was just, it was nuts. And I thought, well, I'm going to be working at home anyway. So I drank. I was confronted at home by my wife. It was not pretty. She left. And then in my clear thinking, in my drunk state, I thought, well, I don't want to be here when she gets home. So I left. And in a bout of blackout driving, I ended up calling a friend who struggles or who, who understands addiction. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, but the problem is that friend was also a coworker and a subordinate in my chain of command who was concerned about me. And so um, she 
you know, rightly brought it up with HR, and um, it became a thing. It became a formal investigation. And because I was in a leadership role and a public-facing role for this organization, you know, as they say, I played the tape forward, and I thought, you know what? The best thing for everyone involved is for me to exit. And, Mm. you know, that that meant, you know, I had some success in my career, and um, all of a sudden, you know, one of the high, the pinnacle of my career, I have some a black mark to explain, like, why did you leave that? And immediately I went, and, well, I spent about six months or six weeks unemployed before I got a job filing unemployment insurance claims for mm. our state department that, that does that because, you know, there's huge demand during the pandemic. So thank God I found a job. Um, but yeah, I knew I was going to have this thing to explain. Why did you go from this you know, executive level job down to this um, entry level job? Mm. But that entry level job was perfect. It was, yeah, they, a recovery they job, we call it, right? It, it was, and it was right-sized, and it allowed me to listen to podcasts. I discovered you guys yeah, and yeah. all these others, all right. and, and I learned <laughs> about addiction, and I focused on myself, and I, you know, I was happily taking orders and direction from people much younger than myself, That's and I was proud fun. of myself <laughs> for being able to do that. And then, yeah, I just persevered and kept trying. And I would tell my story at interviews, like, here's why I lost my last job. And I got more comfortable telling it and eventually landed another very mid-level management position. It's another right-sized job, but also it's it's hard, some ways harder than an executive job. But I'm liking it, and... um, and I discovered I got to keep myself busy. And so that's why mm. I like put together new news clips for you guys and more. The distribution has kind of grown and, yeah. um, and then doing the counseling too. And it's been great. That's really uh, cool. So the, the early days of your recovery, um, what, what, what did that look like? Did you go to uh, AA meetings, 12 step? What? Yeah. So the, the, the first serious attempt, you know, I went to some AA meetings, but I really tried to keep it, hidden somewhat or keep it um, on the side of my life rather than front and center because I didn't want to remind my parents or my my parents, (laughs) my (laughs) wife and my kids Mm, about what I was going through. But then um, (laughs) the second time is like, you know, why hide it? Because I had tanked a lot and I felt it was was awful. It was an awful period in my life where Mm. my son, who was way studying engineering at a fine university, said, you know, he volunteered to quit, go to community college to save money for the family. It just it broke my heart. Yeah. And so I was in this period, place of desperation, and I I don't know if my, my wife didn't know what to do with me at the time. And so I moved into a sober living house for two months, and I doubled down on the, you know, I was unemployed for about six weeks. And so they say 90 meetings in 90 days will I surpassed that because I had Zoom and unemployment on my side (laughs) and, um, you know, really hit it hard with the 12-step program. And I still go, you know, I've got a sponsor and I go to a couple of meetings a week. Um, One of my favorite is a Cocaine Anonymous meeting. Yeah, I love... I've never touched that stuff, but it's a good group. I love Cocaine Anonymous. I only know them... What makes them uh, attractive to alcoholics who don't do cocaine? Well, it's... You know, they asked me to speak once, and I like them, and they feel like the uh, forgotten stepchild of the 12-step program. Yeah, they're great. um, They use the big book. So they're a little less... It's sort of big booky, but it's more N.A., and they... 
they're a little less, this is the way it's got to be, um, because they're, they're a little cut out of the, the mainstream big 12-step mm-hmm. group. And so I just feel like it's a little more, um, I don't know, it's just different and it feels right. That's all I can say. Yeah, so anyone out there right. struggling to find the right meeting, um, you know, if you say it doesn't work for you, just like the gym doesn't always work for everybody who wants to lose weight, um, <laughs> right. um, try a different one. Yeah. Yeah, so. absolutely. Never stop. You know, there's yeah. something out there to help you. And um, one of my final questions, because we're running long, we still have to do recovery in the news, your favorite. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. But uh, to that. I wanted to know how, you know, you've got uh, a year and, um, and it seems like, you know, just yesterday probably, but your life is completely different. But how do you handle, if you get them at all, cravings or occasionally you find yourself in scenarios where you would normally be reaching for a drink and maybe your, your muscle memory is still like reaching for the drink and you're, so like, how do you stop yourself? Like what, what, what do you, what tools do you use to like, you know, put a quick stop to that inner addict who's yelling at you? That's a, a great question. I mean, one of the things is, is sort of the longer term solution is always keep the recovery front and center. So, you know, the counseling, the going to meetings and stuff, it, it builds that, um, you know, alternative muscle memory, I guess. But, um, fortunately, the longer out I am, the, the less the cravings are there. And just a little, um, aside, I still, cause uh, my mom paid for a second year. I've been using Soberlink, which is one of oh, those cool. animal breath. Yeah, t- tell us a little <laughs> bit about that because uh, that, that, right. that came up in your uh, a couple of your emails to us, and I, yeah. I thought it was yeah. really interesting that you had you had volunteered so, for it. Yeah, wow. Yep, yeah. it, it's forced forced accountability, and so it's a device that works with an app on your phone. And you, like, I have, the standard is two tests a day. I set it for three, so I have a morning, a noon, and a, and a evening test. And I just, I get a reminder, I do the test, the results go, well, my wife got kind of sick of it, so it gets a lot of text. So <laughs> the results now go to my brother, and my brother's got an agreement that if he gets it and he gets a positive, he'll contact her. Um, and so that that's like built in, but yeah, that's not going to work long term because eventually, mm. um, you know, that would go away. But is it expensive? Um, uh, it's, so it's about four hundred for the device, and then about two hundred a month. So it's not for everybody, wow. but a lot of people do it through probation or yeah, through right. uh, um, you know an insured program. So yeah, uh, thank God they didn't have program. that when I was on. Pro- All I had was the uh, yeah. <laughs> the blower in the car. Um, wow. Yeah, I mean, that's but, taking a lot of responsibility. And I hear you like I was in outpatient treatment for so long because I kept relapsing and having to go to new ones for my probation mm-hmm. that it was part of my my life. I was being tested two times a week and breathalyzed periodically by my um, probation officer. And as the end drew near, and even though I had been doing that for like five years and not even successfully because I was still I was still drinking and using and getting caught, you know, but um, when I did get right and I was about to get off of probation and out of, you know, graduate the outpatient, get my car back, I had that same worry, you know, like, shit, like, what am I going to do? Like, once I don't have this lattice work of like support and accountability, how am I going to create that for myself? How am I going to? You know, but luckily, yeah. you know, you just jumped into the deep end and I said, look, you know, this can go one of a couple of different ways. Which way do I want it to go? Mm. And um, But the other you know. thing, is, you know, if I'm talking to somebody else, what do you do for a craving? Um, know that it will only last 15, 20 minutes. 
to yeah. distract yourself. Push do something through. else. You, you can't tell someone in the early days, well, just call somebody. No, yeah. because you know you want that drink so bad. If you call somebody, they're going to tell you not to drink. Right. So. right. <laughs> um, yeah. And then you, you might do it anyway and feel shittier. But, um, you know, if you... If you're looking for the solo option, just try doing a chore that you haven't gotten to, and that'll take your mind off it. So. Yeah. Uh, and then one other thing, you didn't get any uh, listener questions for the guest, right? No, I mean, no I unfortunately not. So. I wanted like a funny Could question. Could I at least give a shit? But there were, there were several people who liked it, and so I'm going to thank Maggie, Una, Jeff, Jennifer, and Jelly for at least liking the questions, because hopefully they're listening, <laughs> and they can appreciate the shout-out. It's a nice little community you guys have built there. Yeah, I'm really excited yeah. about it. It's, it's so cool, and um, I love that it's our little thing, and we're all kind of building it together, you know, and, and it's fun for us to, to participate in it and great to know that you're on there. And, um, anybody and, out there who wants to join in, just, uh, send us a request. I think, I think Nat, you're pretty diligent about sending out invitations to the community, right? Well, and I think that goes out. I invite like, people to the main page and then uh, it's sort of, yeah, the private group is tricky to, but yes, I'm, I'm really trying to get people to join who want to join, who want to participate. And, um, it's, I've also had a lot of people reach out to me by messenger who, you know, maybe aren't comfortable posting on the main page, but yeah. they'll send send me a message, and uh, you know that's another way to get in contact with us if you want to speak to somebody. Yeah, you know, yeah, um, you know I, I don't want to cool. be one of those guests who overstays my welcome, and you're trying to shuffle me off the phone. But I will say, <laughs> yeah. it would be cause that's always an awkward moment, isn't it? But um, <laughs> shouldn't you be gone? I, I will if <laughs> I'm here. Damn it, I'm going to take my time. Um, if if somebody started up, I'm not going to do it, and you guys are probably stretched, but if somebody wanted to start up Zoom meetings in that group, you know, mm. private Zoom meetings, I would love it. I would, it's been something I've, uh, ones, I've been thinking about. I have yeah. to say that. I mean, it could start organically. You guys wouldn't have to do that. You guys do a lot. So. I would love that. Throwing that out there to, to the monksters. Um, yeah, man. Start some, I would love that. In fact, I actually typed out a message to you that I never sent because I got this. Sometimes I get, I, I get in a manic phase and I get all of these ideas. And I've, <laughs> I've learned that when I, I, I'll type a bunch of stuff to somebody that I think I really need to say to them because I think it's a great idea. And then I used to just send it. And then I'm sure people were like, well, what the fuck? Is wrong with this guy <laughs> so i didn't send this message to you but what i was thinking about was i really wanted to do stuff like that i really wanted to like bring the rma like group more into a therapeutic community level and then when you were talking about how you were getting you know basically certifications in education i'm like hmm maybe that could be like you yeah. know i'm not trying to just give you more work or something but i mean it's definitely you know that would be really cool if especially if you know because i don't have any certifications you know we should go get some i want to i, want I don't to. i don't have a certification yet and but what i and i think you guys are very well qualified to do are to provide people with resources and direction Absolutely. here's where you can go <laughs> thank you not a me. mental yes, health yes. or a medical <laughs> professional but oh, no. here's what works for us here's where to point you yeah, yeah. Right. let's do that i mean let's let's get that together. I think that would be really, uh, that'd be awesome. I mean, you could not just help other people, but help myself. I mean, a lot of this, um, I get a lot out of it, you know, like Dave from Dopey, I was talking to him about, you know, the show sort of helping my recovery. And he was very adamantly telling me, no, my show is not for my recovery. I've heard him say that before about him and his show. And I, <laughs> yeah. I, I disagree. It's got to have that effect though. Yeah. yeah. Well, his, his, uh, our, you know, what he told me was, you know, for Chris, it was his 
program and oh, look what happened. Okay. And that's the way he's feeling about it. But okay. I, I feel like it, you know, maybe that's just a, a reaction or a PTSD reaction to it. And I get it, but it has to help you. I mean, talk about keeping recovery front of mind. You know, for me, this is really helping. And, and so, so maybe his yeah. point, because he seems like a proponent of the 12 step model. Oh, yeah. oh, he, he talks about the regular meeting he goes to. And so maybe it's not his sole program or his only program, but I would argue that podcast is doing something for him. Absolutely. Yeah, Great. I so. um, but I think we got to wrap it up. Grant, um, thank you so much for coming on the show. See, it wasn't so bad. And I didn't give a plug for Sober Linings Playbook. Sober Linings Plug it. Plug it again. Yeah, SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. It's where, um, you know, I share, and sometimes I actually use some of the stories, but it's where I share the news clips now. I figured it was easier to put it on a website um, and more streamlined than than sending emails to everybody. Um, So, yeah, if you want all the news um, and podcast reviews and stuff like that. All the news. SoberLiningsPlaybook.com. And it's it's all right. Well, it was a pleasure. and. At some point, I would like it to make it to whatever. I know you don't name the city, but um, the, the place where you're at. Um, so someday, <laughs> yeah, maybe man. I will come there to your little studio. But thanks so much for having me on. It was a pleasure, and I'm so glad I found you all. Thanks for taking the time, Grant. We I, really appreciate it, and I think uh, your story is going to help a lot of people. So yeah, thank you. You're the best, and we'll see you on the private group. Dun, 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 all right. Dun, dun. All right. Talk and to you buy later. a shirt, everyone. Buy, yeah, buy right. a shirt. <laughs> all right. Talk to you later, Grant. All right. Bye. Talk to you later. Have a great weekend. You Bye. too. Bye. Boom. You know, if anybody deserves a free shirt, it's that guy. He does. He yeah. needs three free shirts. Yeah. Um, we're going to continue on with the show, even though we're going long. And I need to... We'll be back after these words. Thank you. Okay, we're back, unburdened by middle-aged problems. Um, that was isn't cool. it great when you have guests that are articulate that can tell a story that you he, know, yeah, Grant was great. awesome. Yeah. Um, when we start our own podcast channel, he's going to have his own podcast. He definitely needs his own show. Yeah, no, no question. What? Do, why do people want to come and sit in this room and talk to us? Because <laughs> I get the same thing. Joseph Naus is like, you know, I'll come to you guys, and I'm looking around like we better put up like a stick up or something I know. in here. Yeah. Just to be clear, we want to meet and interview Joseph Naus like a lot, but yeah. we are very insecure about our surroundings here. Oh, yeah. So, Joseph, if you're listening, you know, we really want to talk to you. I want well, your autograph we'll, we'll come to your <laughs> hotel room if you come to new york we're trying uh, to figure it out though we'd be very excited but thank you grant if you want to uh, talk to grant or you know ask him something or whatever go to our private group if you go to our facebook page um on facebook and uh you go to groups <laughs> where you find it yeah you can find it and then you ask to join and then we decide if you know we have a few questions just make sure you're listening to the show and you're interested in recovery and you're not like a weird bot from paraguay or something yeah any uh any negativity will be dealt with severely yes it will <laughs> um one thing i i was i wrote a whole bunch of stuff about this but um i've decided against reading it but I just, just wanted to say there was some kickback to, uh, we, we reported on a, the Dopey Nation. Oh, um, God. We're going down that road? Yeah, just a little bit because I just want to make something clear. Uh, because I heard from uh, someone from uh, Dopey Zoom that was pretty like incensed about the way, I guess, we characterized Dopey Zoom. Uh, it was not my intention. 
I find Dopey Zoom to be a very safe place. We are, you know, we've been sort of a Dopey fan podcast a little bit. And I thought it would have been, you know, funny and interesting to the Dopey fans to sort of hear that, you know, but what I realize is it's a lot like a family. And when there's problems in your family, people don't want you like talking about it, you know, in public. And so I'm sorry for that. And if you're interested in Dopey Zoom, it's it's great. You know, look, there's always going to be personalities conflicting no matter what group you're in. Um, it is a safe place. They've got a dopey Dharma or recovery Dharma meetings. They've got all kinds of stuff, but it also includes 12 steps. So, you know, you choose your, choose your meetings accordingly, but, um, pick your poison. Right. So that's all I'll (laughs) say about that. And that brings us to a very long show. Thank you, Grant. And it's not his fault. We, we <laughs> well, it was your fault because you just kept asking questions. You know, well, that's what that's <laughs> the whole point of an interview. Isn't Honestly, it? we could have done two or three hours with Grant. I know. Uh, maybe we'll do a series, the Grant series. Yes. Um, what does that bring us to? I guess it's time for recovery in the news. Yeah, all right. Recovery in the news. Okay, so um, we got an article from Salon.com. Do you remember them? I from do. the early days of the internet? Like I remember. They were like, um, they came out of the well. Did you know what the well was? I don't know. It was like it John Barlow and a couple other people started this, um, I don't know, it was an early sort of internet forum where people would get, back when people thought that the internet could be used to communicate creatively and mm. with deep intellectual rigor, right. they created this spot called it, the well where people would- Was that a to, news group? They call those no, it wasn't groups? a news group, but you had to be invited in and it was like, uh, you know, some thought leaders who would get together. And anyway, so that evolved into Salon.com and now it's, uh, which was purchased by some other media outlet. And now we have, um, we have the Salon.com we have today. So um, that was completely unnecessary. Anyway, the article this week is called The Rise of Harm Reduction in the War on Drugs from Salon.com, published on 8-9-21 or 9-8-21, excuse me. The war on drugs may profess to be waged against narcotics, but it overwhelmingly targets people, a view increasingly shared by experts on drug use. Nora Volko, director of the National Institute on Drug Abuse, touched on this recently when she wrote about addiction stigma, noting that societal norms surrounding drug use and addiction continued to be informed by myths and misconceptions. Starting in the 80s, a rowdy group of individuals began advocating for a different approach to drug policy called harm reduction, uh, which focuses on the harms of drug use, not the drugs alone. Um, so Mia Slavitz's new book, Undoing Drugs, The Untold Story of Harm Reduction and the Future of Addiction is an in-depth history of a powerful idea exploring the many angles of drug policy, including prescription drug use, supervised consumption, and legalizing cannabis. Ooh, Interesting. Throughout, she also details the racial inequities and social justice tensions that have defined the drug war. So, um, Harm reduction, of course, um, has many different definitions depending on who you ask. Uh, Radical empathy, which requires meeting people where they're at. Um, But it really applies to the core of the Hippocratic Oath. First, do no harm to addiction treatment and drug policy, which takes the focus off the substance itself uh, and puts it onto the use. Um, So... Tracing the roots of the movement, Solvitz uh, introduces us to characters like the goddess of harm reduction and Johnny Appleseed of Needles, whose lives are dedicated to spreading evidence-based practices of harm reduction. Um, so you have this whole you know, tension in the drug uh, recovery movement 
or the drug interdiction movement, and we've spoken of this before, like on the one hand, you have people who are doing needle exchanges yeah. and things like that, providing uh, spaces to shoot up. And, mm-hmm. also, and then the other side, you have the war on drugs, um, people who it's are like going after the supply side, right? Like so Venezuela, they yeah. just murder drug dealers. Yeah. So, but apparently the... Uh, you cut off half my article here. Oh, I'm sorry. So, you were going to so read the I'm, whole thing. I'm just riffing. Yeah, no, riff. So um, apparently, um, you know, harm reduction is finally getting the acceptance that it hasn't had over the past like 30 years. And it seems that way. More places that are, are popping up and, and more acceptance among the community, even in the law enforcement communities, to things like needle exchanges and so on. Yeah, so. and all of these medications and treatments did not exist when the big book was written, folks. The big book. What's that? <laughs> the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh, yeah, yeah. When it was written, uh, Bill even writes in it. There's no, you know, magic pill or there's no treatment uh, for for treating this right now. I mean, he specifically kind of opens it up to future developments. And I feel like we've learned a thing or two and we've developed and studied a thing or two that may actually help. And it's and we're finding that in you know some of these medications and these treatment methods are really effective. The one thing I heard about recently, have you heard about where they, I forget what they call the therapy, but it's like where they pay people to stay sober? Yes. What is that called? It's I, like... Yeah, I forget. Um, it's a new controversy that has come out and I think is really interesting. Like, you know, uh, remunerating people when they, I guess, have negative test results uh, and things like that. It's proven effective in in some of these studies. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I, I it's weird. I mean, you pay your kid for an A sometimes, or sometimes if I'm really desperate to get my my son to do something like you know be nice to his grandma, I'll slip him a five dollar bill. But the the amount of money in these studies, if I remember correctly, it wasn't a lot of money. So like if you when you were in the thro- throes of active addiction, mm. and somebody offered you like ten bucks not to do heroin that day. What would you have thought about that? I would think, where can I get 10 bucks worth of heroin? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, I don't know. But what do I know? Yeah. I just work All right. here. Uh, that's sort of recovery in the recovery news. Recovery in the news. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> you don't do it on the back end. I don't do anything on the back end. I'm not into that. Oof. <laughs> it's a long morning. Yeah. Oh, wait. Shit. With yeah. This Week in Weird. Okay. <laughs> By Tim Banal. Forgetful ghost hunters accidentally spark bomb scare at British Museum. This is my new favorite thing. Like stories about when ghost hunters like do something horribly fall wrong. Fall through roofs. Yeah, fall through roofs. <laughs> spark bomb scares. Oh. A group of absent-minded ghost hunters caused a bit of panic at a museum in Britain after they accidentally left behind a piece of equipment from their paranormal investigation. And some suspected that the odd device could have been a bomb. The weird incident reportedly occurred this past Saturday at True's Yard Fisher Folk Museum. What the hell is that? I don't know, but I want to go there. Which is a site dedicated oh. to celebrating and preserving the remnants of an 18th century fishing community. Sounds it's fascinating. Riveting. <laughs> Being that the weekend was the start of England's Heritage Open Days, which is a countrywide series of cultural events, the mood at the museum should have been rather jubilant. Were it not for a mysterious box discovered on the premises... Taking to Twitter, taking to Twitter on On Tuesday. Tuesday. Taking to Twitter on Tuesday. There's some alliteration there. (laughs) The museum shared a picture of the puzzling device, which is emblazoned with the words 
paranormal technology. <laughs> Finding the truth. Because real like scientists <laughs> always write on their machines with their... Yeah. And explain that they found it in one of their restored cottages over the weekend. They went on to lambest whoever had left the box behind, explaining that it was a fire hazard, and then asked them to come and collect the odd object. While some may have found the mistake slightly amusing, the museum indicated that they considered it no laughing matter. Quote, it might seem pretty harmless, they wrote, <laughs> but it meant our poor staff had to search the rest of the premises and make the decision at the end of the business. You're alienating day of the our year. British I'm listeners. Sorry. And plus, I went into an Australian accent a little bit, so I really or, I don't know what that was. Cockney. Right. <laughs> Whether to call the police because it could have been an explosive device. Um, yeah, so ghost yeah. hunters just like. Yeah, p- clean up after yourself. Bring your. Really? Phony equipment home. Wait, please, when you're done with please, it. Please, you guys, especially you can't be an absent-minded ghost hunter. You know, you have to be on top of things. <laughs> Anything can happen when hunting ghosts. Right. And um, you know, we're pulling for you guys. So, right. This week in weird, little week. This week. That about does it for today. Uh, we had a great time as always. <laughs> what accent was that? That was just... That about does it for today. Thanks about. for tuning in. Thanks so much for listening. Visit us at middleagesrecovery.com, Podbean, Apple Co- Podcasts, Facebook. <laughs> What's a Cobcast? Instagram, Spotify, YouTube, and tweet us a twat. You twit. Support your favorite show. Drop a five-star review. Join our favorite... Our Join our private <laughs> Facebook group, buy a t-shirt, or simply write and say hello. We'd love meeting new monksters and chopping it up on the Facebook group. And finally, the best way to help the show is to... Tell a friend. Tell a friend. Share it with a friend. If you get something out of our show, please share the love and help grow the RMA movement. Visit SoberLiningsPlaybook.com to see Grant's awesome news website. And as we say... Non-profitiate perfecto. It's progress, not perfection. See you next time. Be good. Bye.